0: Hi, this is Robert Furrow and welcome to Truth Quest podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God, knowing that God's Word has everything for us to be complete. God's communicated through His Word so we want to find out what it says so we can live it. I want to welcome you guys. It's been a little bit of a test getting online. Uh, first of all, I wasn't signed into something I needed to be signed into. While well, I was trying to sign in, the power went out, cut everything. And uh, so we're back on now. There's a monsoon outside. So we'll see how this goes. We'll try to go ahead and work this out. It's good to see you guys. Glad to have you guys here. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take our first question today. And our first question is always connected to our last study. So Wednesday night, we were in Galatians chapter four. And in the first part there, Paul says we are adopted into the family of God and given. I just realized. I probably didn't have any. any, This is really funny. Um, I read just. All right, so. I see you guys here. Let's restart now. I think I've got my microphones going. I don't think I had them on before, but I'm ready now. Hi. This is Robert Furrow, and welcome to Truth Quest podcast. This is our technical problem podcast uh, This for this particular show. First of all, I wasn't signed into where I should have been signed into. After that, I the, the power went out. When I finally got back on again, my soundboard wasn't on. So, I wasn't sure whether or not I had sound, but I want to welcome you guys. It's good to see you. Uh, we've already got a couple of questions up. Um, I want to first of all talk about Abba Father really quickly. Uh, we had a question from our Wednesday night study out of out of Galatians chapter 4 where uh, Paul says, you have been adopted into the family of God whereby we cry out Abba Father. And the question was, if Abba in Aramaic means the Father, then why do people say that it means a child saying Daddy to God? Well, because the, the phrase is Aramaic and then Greek or Aramaic in English in our Bibles. And it can't mean father, just father, because it would be the father, the father. That's why they translated Abba, father, giving us the Aramaic. You now know an Aramaic word. And yes, Ab in Aramaic is father and B-A, Abba, is the. So the father. But remember, phrases in different cultures mean different things. And the term Abba means affection or love it means commitment it could be saying god i'm going to do your will that special kind of commitment and then a father who is in heaven watching over you it could mean that you have the special love relationship with him which either way whether it means the father or a special word like daddy it is a word for intimacy and closeness as a son to a father not only a father that watches over you, but a father who truly does love you. So, even though the direct translation is the father, phrases in certain languages end up meaning something that's different than how you can actually break them down. And we have a lot of examples in the English language as well. But it's really good to see you guys. Really good to see you here. I see we've got a lot of questions coming up. Hopefully, uh, that will be helpful. Let me go ahead and go back and take our first question um, and by the way, if you have a question, write the word "question" out, reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense. If I read it and it doesn't make sense, I'm probably just going to go on to the next question. I try to take a stab at it, but sometimes I don't quite get it right. So our first question is from Psychman. Psychman, good to see you. Glad we could finally make this make it onto this abbreviated uh, uh, Truth Quest podcast Q&A. So, Psychman says, I've heard these small Israeli children calling their dad Abba. It made me smile. Then their mom turned to me and said, that means daddy. But you said it differs in Aramaic. Ah, all right. So, thank you. Let me go ahead and uh, just finish explaining that whole concept. So, when you break down the word, The word means father and the, the father is really what it means. But there's a reason they didn't translate it, the father, father, using the Aramaic word and the Greek word. It's a unique phrase that in the original manuscripts, it uses the Aramaic word. We have another example of this when it says he took the little girl by the hand and said, Talitha kumi, little girl, arise. And that's not translated one for one either. That's little lamb arise in Aramaic and little girl arise is the translation that we get. So Abba definitely means affection, even though it is broken down as the father. Now, it may be affection as in respect. It may be intimacy as in a child calling their dad Abba. But it certainly means that you have that intimacy with him. I use the example on Wednesday night that my father was a hard man. I never really had that Abba relationship with my father. He died when I was 14. And as far as I remember, never said, I love you. He may have, but I don't remember it. Certainly didn't say it a lot. And I didn't have that Abba relationship with him. I had a father relationship with him. He was a good provider. He disciplined me. And God does that for us. But that Abba relationship is that close intimate, loving relationship that you may have with your father, maybe even as an adult. And you may be blessed with that kind of us, with that kind of a relationship. Yes, it definitely can be translated daddy. And most people say it is. But there are some, because of the way it breaks down in Aramaic, who say it means affection, but in the sense of obedience. Like when Jesus prayed it in the garden, Jesus said, Abba, Father, if possible, let this cut pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. So they take that example and say, it's his submitting to the Father's will, like in the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But it would also be an intimacy, a desire to do what God wants you to do because you love him. Abba, Father, I love you. I want to do what you want me to do. So, which one is the right way that they believed it 2,000 years ago? We don't know. But we do know it means intimacy, it means affection, and it means love. And if it's a child, like calling up on his lap as a child and saying, Abba, Father, or if it's a desire to do God's will because of a great love for him, either way, it is affection. All right. So, thank you, Psych Man. I appreciate that. Let's go ahead and go to our next question. And this is from Kimberly. Kimberly says, love this teaching. The daddy interpretation of Abba always seemed to be uh, off to me. Where and when did the interpretation start? Well, thanks, Kimberly. Um, I really don't have any idea. All I know is that three times in in the Bible, we have that phrase Abba Father. So it's got to mean something different than Father. Abba, fa- otherwise it would say Father, Father, and it would be translated two times in the Greek word. But Jesus in the Garden of His Gethsemane in a moment of despair cried out Abba, Father. And by we are given the spirit by which we cry out Abba, Father, and it may be the best time to do that is in moments of despair. So I don't know the beginning of the Aramaic word, tried to look it up and I couldn't find a lot about it. I found a lot of people saying that it was a small child crawling up into a lap. And then I found those that talk about the word being one out of respect. And if it's out of respect, still, it's I love you. I love you, so I respect you. So thank you for your question, Kimberly. Um, Sorry, I don't have the etymology of the Aramaic word. I just couldn't find it. I looked for it, but I wasn't able to find it. Uh, It may be out there. All right. So we have a question here from Rod. Rod says, um, Joel, well, let's go ahead and bring this in here and we'll take we'll take time to look this up. So, still trying to get things together after everything went um, out in the power outage. So, let me get my Bible up here and see if I can get to this passage. So, Joel says, Joel 2, 28, 29, is that time now or the Millennial Kingdom? All right, Rod, thank you. Uh, let me take time to look this up. Joel, 2, 28, and 29. I'm not sure what this passage is, so we'll take time to get there. I'll put it up on the screen and we'll read it together and see if we can figure it out ourselves. Hopefully, we don't need to go back and look at it in context. So, 28 and 29. All right. Okay. All right. So, let me go ahead and put this up on the screen for you thought oh so something there's something else that isn't working let me try and plug in this and plugging it back in see if that works hey it, well it kind of worked well let me read this i'm just going to read it to you because this is really that's interesting okay i'm just going to read this to you and um We'll put it and we'll see if we can come to where it's at. All right, so it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maidservants and my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. All right. So, this has two fulfillments. There's part of it, Rod, uh, that is fulfilled. Part of this is fulfilled already, and it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, because Peter said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so, in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit was given to leadership. When you lived under the law, you you lived under people that were filled with the spirit, but you yourself weren't filled with the spirit. And this is one of the special things that we have as sons and daughters. We are filled with the Spirit. And Joel says he pours out his Spirit on all of us. And the way we're living in the last days is that this is the church age, the last age before the seven-year trial and tribulation period, which is the 70th week of Daniel where God deals with Israel once again. And then he will turn the moon into blood and all of those things that it says a little bit later on in this statement starting in verse 30, and I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth. This is all the end. Before that, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church age, and then we come to the end. Blood and fire, pillars of smoke, the sun shall not, shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. So, during the tribulation period, these things will happen before the great and awesome day of the Lord, when he comes back to this earth, and what a great and awesome day that will be. So, Rod, thank you very much. For your question i appreciate that uh it is a great section which really does tell us that you and i are filled with the holy spirit that every one of us i love the fact that in christ there's no male no female there's no jew nor greek uh there there is no we're, we're all one because god doesn't show personal favoritism we all go before the throne he doesn't just anoint leaders we all have the same access and we all have the same spirit so um, all right so let me go ahead and i'm going to bring in this question um, from wmb does the bible say women should not cut their hair or have long hair in the words of my furrow my family lays the trip on my daughter about cutting her hair. So there's a passage in I think it's second Corinthians that says that if a man has long hair, it's a shame and a woman should cover her head when she prays. It seems that in this church in Corinth, there was a custom that when they prayed, they covered their head. And that was some kind of an authority to their husband. We can cover this passage in detail, and I wish we had it up. I could read through there. Um, But Paul says, if you're going to not cover your head, you might as well go all the way and shave it. Now, so it was a disrespect that he was saying, cut off your hair because the hair of a woman is her glory, and the hair of man is woman. So what he's saying there, it's a a cultural thing about authority. And they were being rebellious. There were certain women that were being rebellious in that day and weren't covering their heads to praying. Paul goes on to say, we have no such customs in the church. So, in other words, it was a custom with them, but it's not a custom to to Paul in other places. So that when we are interacting in a community where there are certain cultural customs, we want to be sensitive to them. But remember that we're not breaking God's law when we break one of these customs. And so, for your family to lay a trip on her about not cutting her hair is taking one obscure passage that is hard to understand and taking away her freedom that is in Christ. Uh, all right? So, thank you very much, WMB. I hope that's helpful. It is cultural and I would I would sit down and break down go over that passage with her and show her how Paul says we don't have any customs in the church. But Paul is upset at the rebellion that's taking place there. All right, and um, we'll get that passage up at some point and uh, we'll take a look at it because it is a great passage that speaks of, of cultural aspects of authority, all right, and of men looking like men and women looking like women, which is important for us in our day as well. That your, your daughter can have her hair cut and still look like a girl. What God was really forbidding was women looking like men and men looking like women, all right? So thank you very much. We have a question here from Brenda. Brenda says, Is there a difference between the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit? This also makes consider what it meant when Jesus is on the cross and says, I give you my Spirit. Yeah, that's interesting too. That makes me think about that as well. So, yeah, the the two passages that we read about Abba Father, one of them says in Romans, I think it's 8-9, that, we are given the spirit whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The other one in Galatians 4, 1 through 6 says that we have been given the spirit of the Son where out we cry, Abba, Father. The fact that both of those are connected by Paul who wrote both of them, that the spirit of the Son is the Holy Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father by. I would say by those two texts, comparing them, that that's the spirit of the Son. When Jesus cries out, I give you my spirit, There is some controversy among theologians as to whether or not man, you and me, are three parts or two parts. The Bible does talk about our body, soul and spirit. And the Bible says that the word of God can get in and divide between the soul and the spirit. So personally, I believe there's three parts, even though I know and I may even be in the minority of scholars when it comes down to believing that we have three parts, body, soul and spirit. But Philippians makes that statement. And um, so, when Jesus said on the cross, into your hands, I give my spirit. Um, Was he just saying my soul, my consciousness? Or was he saying, I will not have the Holy Spirit in me while I'm dead? And so I give my spirit as in the Holy Spirit there. I'm gonna have to think a little bit more about this. That's a great question. And I need to think a little bit more to see Uh, and and maybe take a look at a couple of things to see where I might come down on it. But it really is interesting. I think Paul's definitely talking about the Holy Spirit as being the spirit of Jesus. And was Jesus meaning, I'm going to give you my spirit or my consciousness, my soul? When he used the word spirit, we might be able to look up the Greek words and get a little bit of help with that. That is an interesting question, Brenda. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, uh, we had some technical difficulty. I had to re, I had to go in and build the stream again and do it. So, if you guys have found us, really glad you're here. All right. We had a, a monsoon outside and it knocked out the power and everything went out. All right. So, we have a question from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, question, is the Bible written for us? Is the Bible written for us or written for us? Which one is correct? Thank you. Okay, is the Bible written for us or written to us? Which one is correct, thank you. I went to a Pentecostal church, they said the Bible was written for us, but not directly to us. All right, let's try to figure out what they're saying and whether or not that statement could be true. I would wanna know who the us is. So I would look at the Holy Spirit as the author, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God. So the Holy Spirit moved on men's hearts that they would write the scriptures and they were writing to particular people. But the Holy Spirit knew that he was inspiring it to be written to all of us. So could there be a way that they said the Holy Spirit that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. And I think there could be a way in which that could be true. And that is that Paul wrote the book of Galatians to the people in the regions of Galatia. And the Holy Spirit inspired it. And we know that we were in mind when he wrote it because those principles are scriptures for us. But it was written to the Galatians and not to us. Now, is there also a way in which I would say that the Bible is written for us and to us? And I would say yes there as well. I can understand what they're saying that the certain parts of the Bible like the Pentateuch was written to Israel for them to be under the law. And I understand what they're saying. But I also believe the Holy Spirit inspired it, knew that we would be reading it, knew that it would be God's word that we trust in completely, and therefore it was written to us as well. If I were talking to someone who believed that and began to, to say it, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't argue with them at all. I would say, I understand what they're saying, and I see that it can be true. So, I, I think there's a way in which the Bible could be written for us and not to us in that we are not the Corinthian church. We are not the Philippian church. Uh, they're the letters to the seven churches in Revelation. We see that they're to us, but they were originally to those people. So, yeah, I would think, I would I would say the answer needs to be yes. I would think there would be a way in which it's written for us and um, and not to us. Although, I also would say it's written to us. All right? So, um All right, which we have a question here from uh, Kara and Rod. So, Kara and Rod say, should we have a graven image or picture of people that play the role of Jesus? Is there a difference of having a picture of Jesus as long as we are not worshiping it? The Bible says, thou shall have no graven image. Well, thank you, Kara and Rod. I appreciate that. In the law, you were not to have any graven image. You weren't to make an image of God or of God because that was idolatry. You would put up an image and then you would bow down and worship that image. That was the world religion of their day. And so God didn't want Judaism to look anything like idolatry. And so there was not to be any graven images made, but it didn't mean there weren't any images. There were no images made to bow down to, no images of God that were made. So that, in the temple there were images of cherubim there were images of almond branches there were images of almond blossoms that they had in the tabernacle and in the temple so it wasn't that there were no images at all but your question specifically about the image of jesus it is interesting to me that we don't have any descriptions of what jesus looked like we have him being born, him being crucified. We have secular historians talking about Jesus and telling us that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. But we have no one giving us a description of him. The only description we have is Isaiah 53 when it says in him there was no beauty that we would look upon him. Some take that that he wasn't good looking at all. Others say it was because he was beaten so badly. That when we looked upon him he had been been beaten but having a picture of somebody who plays jesus i would think it would be weird to have a picture up of somebody that played jesus and talking to that picture like it's jesus i know when i'm watching a show on and 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 jesus is betrayed on it that that's an actor playing jesus and even though i think that he does a good job there's the smiling jesus there's the angry jesus there's the you know, they they have all kinds of different Jesuses that play the part of Jesus. It's not Jesus, and so I wouldn't put up a picture. When I grew up, with a picture on my wall, uh, in our hallway, with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane over a rock praying, and I in the long hair picture of what I call the good looking Jesus was somewhere in my house as well. But these were reminders of Jesus. We never thought they really were Jesus, and we never prayed to them like they were Jesus. So, I think idolatry becomes the problem. I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have an artist's portrayal of Jesus. I think of Jesus standing at the door and knocking in that painting. I don't think that's wrong to do. We are not under the law, but we still would not want to bow down and pray to any image because that would be idolatry. So, I'm not sure, Kara and Rod, um, uh, should we have um, a graven image or picture or people that play the role of Jesus. Yeah, I don't see a problem with having pictures of them just knowing that they're not Jesus and just not interacting with them as if they are Jesus. Is there a difference of having a picture of Jesus as long as we're not worshiping it? Yes, you can have a picture of Jesus. We're not under the law anymore. And um, so, but we don't want to be, the Bible says I shall have no graven images. Yeah, and I've already explained that. Okay, so Kara, Rod, thank you very much for your question. I do appreciate that. Uh, We have a follow-up question from Jari on Abba Father. Jari says, follow up regarding Abba Father. Why did God choose to be father instead of mother? Why are there no female members of the Trinity? I'm curious. Thank you. Well, there are certain people who would tell you that God is mother and that we should be that God has in him the the female aspects. The Bible compares God in one place to being like a hen that gathers her chicks. And that would be a picture of a female hen gathering her chicks. But do we think that God is in any way, shape or form a giant chicken in the sky? But also, does he have a form? Does he have flesh and blood? Like we do. Does he look like a man? And I would say no. I, I will say that God gave us the family the very beginning. It was God's idea. He had the father and the mother and the children and the father played a role and the mother plays a role. We see that in scripture and God is like our father. So we can compare it to father. Does that mean that the Bible could never compare God to a mother? And I'm going to say, I think there are some places where that does happen, where there are more motherly aspects that are spoken of God working in our lives. Not necessarily, that it doesn't call him a mother, but that the references that are spoken of God would fall into the mother's role more than the father's role. But, um, so, why did God choose to be father? Because he created the role of the father. He was the one who created it. So, I think he created the role of the father. And remember, we're created in the image of God, male and female, so that he could reveal his love to us, his discipline as a godly father, as a heavenly father, his love, his direction, his care, as a heavenly father and um there are no female members of the trinity because there are none and why god there just are none remember the trinity is pre-existent the trinity is the father the son and the spirit and these three are one i talked about scholars differing whether or not we have three parts in us i think we have a body we have a soul we have a spirit philippians says that my body isn't my spirit my spirit isn't my soul and yet they all make up me. And I think that's a picture of God. And why are there no female parts? I mean, why why um, are there no female members in the Trinity? Because there's not. God chose to identify himself to us as, as a father and as male. All right. And there are people who want to change that. There are people who are trying to change that. All right. Thank you, Jari. I really appreciate that. We have another question from Fact Check. These hands. Good to see you. Can born again Christians be turned over to a reprobate mind? I have several people who claim to be born again yet are promoting unbiblical worldly ideologies. All right. Um, First of all, let's just kind of deal with this one at a time. Uh, First of all, can born again Christians be turned over to a reprobate mind? I guess this is going to depend on where you stand on once saved, always saved. Whether or not you believe that you can lose your salvation or leave your salvation. If you believe that once you're saved, you are regenerated, you've given eternal life, that there's no way that can be taken away from you. Then you cannot be handed over to a reprobate mind. If you believe that you can make a decision to walk away, nothing can separate you from the love of God, But can you make a decision to walk away from God? And I lean towards that once you're saved, you're always saved. But I don't know for sure. There are passages in the Bible that seem to go both ways. So, what about someone who claims to be born again, yet are promoting unbiblical worldly ideologies? I might need to know a little bit more about these ideologies. If they are, if someone's saying, I'm born again, but I'm homosexual. I'm going to live the homosexual lifestyle, but I'm born again. Then I don't know that they are because the Bible says if anyone says they love him but don't keep his commandments, they're a liar. If someone says, I love God, but I'm in an affair and I think it's okay to be in an affair. I think it's okay to have an affair, uh, but I love God and I'm really close to him. I'm going to go, by this we know that we know him, that we keep his commandments. And if we don't know him, then we don't worry about keeping his commandments. But you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I love God, but I'm going to be in this affair and I'm still okay with God. There's a problem there. It's problematic. And I'm always careful not to judge whether or not people are genuinely saved. But I would be genuinely concerned for that individual, that they are not really saved. Now, if they are a child of God, maybe God's going to discipline and bring them back um god was very gracious to to the likes of samson in the bible and others and god is so full of grace it's really true nevertheless when you start talking about promoting unbiblical worldly ideologies that becomes problematic especially when they are things that the bible clearly teaches against and we want to do the things that god tells us to do so if you say i'm a christian I still want to do what God wants me to do. I'm a Christian. I love him, but I'm not doing what he wants me to do, but I'm okay. I'm still a Christian. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. I I would kind of tend to think you're not. Again, I don't want to judge you, but if you don't want to do what God wants you to do, then maybe it's time to check your heart. Make sure that you've made a real commitment to him. Make sure you're in the right place. And there's nothing wrong with you being born again, examining yourself, and then saying, "Maybe I'm really not with the Father, because I'm in this affair and I don't care." The Bible says, "If I say I love Him, I'll keep His commandments. If I don't, I'm lying." Jesus said, "If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments." And so, can they be turned? Can a real, true born-again Christian be turned over to a reprobate mind? And again, I I don't I don't know the answer to that. I lean towards no being the answer to that. That if you really are born again you're going to want to do what god wants you to do you're not going to be at a place where you can be given a reprobate mind all right fact check these hands i appreciate that if um, if you're here for the very first time really glad to have you here uh, we answer questions in the light of scripture our desire is to know what god's word says so we can know what to believe and um if you have a question then write the word question out then write out your question reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit your question. Um, Let's go ahead and go on. We are, I I might come back. Uh, Kimberly, I've got a second question from you, um, but we are short on time. And I think we're just going to take one question today. I'll take follow-ups, but we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, If I don't get another question here, then I'll come back to you. All right. And uh, take that second question. All right, so we do have a question from Andre. All right, let's see. So Andre says, Is the Lord's throne in Elim, Iran, a permanent one? Jeremiah 49, 37 through 38. All right, let's go ahead and try this again. Andre, uh, Jeremiah 49, 37. Jeremiah Last time we tried to, we looked up the passage out of Ezekiel and couldn't quite get it figured out. Um, I think it was an analogy of the trees in the garden. When I say 39, no, 49. Jeremiah, get to the right place here. 49, 37 and 38. All right, long chapter. All right. So he says, he says, here, let me put this up on the screen, see if it works. There we go. Verse 37. This is Jeremiah 49, verse 37. For I will cause Elim to be dismayed before their enemies and before those who seek their lives. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord. <clears throat> and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. I will set my throne in Elim and will destroy there the king and the princes who say, uh, says the Lord. I will put my throne. I will set up my throne in Elim. So, let's go ahead and go back here. And um, all right, is the Lord's throne in Elim? I ran a permanent one. I'm going to say no. Do I understand exactly what's going on in there in Jeremiah? No, I don't. But is it permanent? No, there He's going to set up on the throne of David during the millennial period. Um, Is it there now? Is God's throne there now? I probably think it was back in the days that he was judging them. Not today. That's kind of where I'm at. All right. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, So we have a question from Rod. Rod says, um, question, you're right. Love love. The beast, but doesn't. Okay, love the best, but doesn't. Okay, First uh, Corinthians thirteen eight says tongues will cease. Do you believe in cessationism? If not, why? If so, why? All right. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, First Corinthians thirteen eight. I'm gonna go ahead and, and pull that up. Um, I am not a cessationist. I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit have been done away. That doesn't mean that I don't believe that God was doing something special during the first century and that God didn't work in a certain way to establish the church. But the idea that God, that God gave the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the spirit and then took them away when the Bible was complete, I don't think to be true. And I don't believe it says that. So, um, Yeah, this isn't the passage that I was thinking of. Let me go ahead and put it up here on the screen and we'll look at it. It says, "Uh, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, this is what I was looking for. um, Then that which is in part will be done away with. So a cessationist is going to say that which is perfect is the Bible. They didn't have the Bible then, so they needed prophecy. uh, They needed um, tongues. They needed miracles because they didn't have the word of God. I don't know that I would say, in fact, I know I I wouldn't say that. I I wouldn't say that the word of God, having the complete word of God, would take away the gifts of healings or the gifts of miracles or the gift of tongues because tongues wasn't speaking, it was your spirit speaking mysteries to God. It wasn't God giving his word to you. I I believe that the, the, that that doesn't say that the spirit, that the gifts of the spirit are no longer for us today. There is comes a time when they will cease when we're in the presence of God, when that which is perfect has come, which is Jesus Christ. When we're in his presence, then these things will cease. So I believe that there is a, the gift of the Holy Spirit I believe that there is an infilling and empowering. I believe that he gifts us today and that they have not ceased. And I don't think that there's anything in the Bible to tell us otherwise. I think that that passage is misconstruing the word when that which is perfect has come, that which is done, well, that which is in part will be done away with. All right. So, um, yeah, I am not a cessationist and I'm not a cessationist because I don't believe that there are was a certain age that was the church age, and then God went on to the early church age and a late church age. I believe that we are just in the church age where He poured out His Spirit onto all flesh. We see that in Acts chapter 2, and it wasn't changed. The Spirit just poured out onto all flesh, and God is still working with the gifts of the Spirit. Think of it. Part of the gifts of the Spirit were gift of teaching, gift of administration, a gift of evangelism, those haven't been done away with. I know they say the sign gifts were done away with, but that is something they came up with as a category they came up with. So, yeah, there there will be a time when that which is perfect has come, that all of those things will be passed away, but not until uh, not until then. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So, we have come to the end of our questions at this point. So, if you have a question, then write the word question out. And then write your question down. Reread it a couple times. Make sure it makes sense. And then go ahead and submit it. We've got about another five minutes. I'm going to go back up here and see if I can find Kimberly's question and bring it on because I had passed by that. Um, Yeah, here we go. So here we have a question from Kimberly. Kimberly says, Pastor, is God judging this nation? Should Christians be prepared for hard times? I don't know how much to prepare for and for how long. Thank you, Kimberly. I appreciate that. Um, Well, I think God's judging the world and God judges nations. The The current condition of the United States is not a lot different than what's going on around the world. There's polarization taking place politically around the world today. There is inflation around the world today. So we are seeing all of these things happen. Could this be... God moving us into the last days? I think that's possible. Will the United States be there in the last days? It's interesting when it comes to protecting the life of an unborn child that the United States has the most lenient laws of any of the European nations, of almost every nation on earth. There may be an exception, but I don't know what that exception would be. And so will God judge us? because we somehow don't value the life of a human that's in the womb the only difference between a, a late term stopping of a life of a child is that they're in the womb or outside of the womb and there are those that believe that a, a child could be born and then take its life there are those who would fight for it and somehow the rhetoric is just the rhetoric is just nonsense not my You know, leave it up to me and my doctor. You know, my body, my choice. It's like, no, there's another body. It's it's not your body. It's another body. And it happened by interacting in some sexual activity that a child came into the world. And I realize there are, you know, cases of rape and incest. I realize that. But when we look at the United States and ask if God's judging us, this may very well be the way he judges us. This grieves us as Christians. And hopefully things are really changing and God would spare us. And if God's going to tarry for a couple hundred years, which is possible, I mean, he could bring us right up to the brink and then then make us wait. God seems to have done that before. Around World War II, it looked like in 48, 1948, when Israel became a nation, looked like it was all going to just take place right there. But then God granted more time. Hopefully God will grant the United States more time. So I don't know if God's judging us right now, Kimberly. But whether or not God is judging the U.S., we ought to be living our lives for Jesus the same way. That we're serious about following Him. That we're living wholeheartedly for Him. That we're not we're not going, well, if God's not going to judge us, then I'm going to do what? Different than if God's going to judge this nation, this is what I'm going to do. If God judges us, we are and, and, and there and will not do it before the rapture then we will go down a road that is a, a pretty difficult road. God has done that before with, uh, with other nations. God judged other nations besides Israel. So, it's possible that God could judge us as a nation. And um, yeah, uh, prepare, preparing one way or another, Kimberly is just making sure that everything is right between you and God. That's the right way to prepare. And you say, well, should I prepare for other things in the future? Well, yeah, we want to be wise. We want to take care of our families. We want to do those things, but it doesn't mean that if things were to change tomorrow. I think um, someone said, even if I die tomorrow, I'd live the same way today that I would live. That's kind of where we want to be. That's how we want to be living. right so uh sorry for the shortened q a today some technical difficulties up front but it's good to see you guys bless you guys i really appreciate you our next q a will be next saturday Uh, we will be looking at whether or not the first question will be whether or not uh what it means that we're not married in heaven and that is a, a hard saying of jesus and that's in our text that we're covering tonight. We don't have a lot of time to be able to cover it completely. So we're covering some other stuff, but we'll be talking about it. And if you have questions about that Bible study, then you can join us on Saturday. We're connecting them together so that our first few questions or questions can be taken during it about the Bible study that we're having in about an hour from now. And we're looking at the Sadducees saying to Jesus that there is no resurrection and Jesus's response to them. It's a great text but it's got that hard saying about marriage in it, all right? So, God bless you. Love you guys. Stay close to Jesus. And um, hopefully next uh, Saturday, we won't have any technical difficulties. I know we're entering into the monsoon season here in Tucson, and there can be some problems with the power grid during that monsoon. All right, God bless you guys. Love you. We will see you later on. I'm out.